St. Luke tells of the birth of Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, everyone, into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The word of the Lord. The shepherds go to the manger. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. And see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, we gather here today, some having come afar to be with family or to return to home and community and church we knew as children and youth. Some have come from homes which are troubled and stressed, and some from homes which are beautifully united and reunited on this occasion. We come from the world of work and of citizenship in this nation and of our world with all its attendant worries. But we come as well searching for hope, searching for some word that all of this that we have heard is true and has promise about it. But the words we hear and pray and sing in this service allow us to leave with that confidence and faith. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So last Sunday, I spoke in the sermon of being moved by a brief encounter of hearing O Holy Night on the car stereo while pulling into the parking lot of the church. Many of us have had a similar experience during worship this past Sunday as one of our youth 
Tara West sang the song planned in the middle of the sermon at the 11 a.m. service, just as Ben had done at the 8.30 service. Later that evening, I received an email from a member of the church who shared an experience she had had that afternoon following hearing a holy night in the service. The email read in part, I really appreciated your call in this morning's sermon for us to be attentive to moments of inbreaking beauty as well as to stop and listen when those moments arise. I wanted to share the following story that transpired later this a- that afternoon during which your message in the back of my mind inspired me to take one small step against another power of darkness in our world, that of systemic poverty. I was stopped in my track, she said, during a visit to the Wegmans in Alexandria. I had stopped there after a busy afternoon following worship, which included brunch with friends and attending a concert by the Alexandria Symphony Orchestra. I was focused on gathering the items on my short shopping list when a woman approached me whom I did not know. She said, may I ask you a question? After I said yes, she rushed up to tell me that she wasn't asking for money. I told her I didn't have any cash with me. And then she tearfully told me that she had three children at home and only had $5 to get them something to eat. She asked if I could purchase some groceries for her. I asked what she needed, and she said she needed some things to drink and eat and a few personal care products. I told her I would pay for what she needed, and we exchanged first names. She told me she had prayed to Jesus that he would put an angel in her path if only she was obedient to his will. I assured her that I was no angel, but she could get what she needed, and I would meet her back at the checkout in 10 minutes. Now, I confess to wondering, she said, while I completed my own shopping, if the woman was sincere, if her need was real, or if I was falling prey to some sort of scam. But we met up again at the checkout line, and I could tell from what she had in her shopping cart that she was providing for a family that needed sustenance. She told me the names of her teenage children and a little about each one of them. Before parting, I shook her hand and thanked her for having approached me, and I wished the best for her and her family. Our member then reflects on this experience. While the prince of darkness can and does indeed take the shape of terrorism, and war, and indiscriminate acts of violence. This interaction in our own backyard reminded me that Christ's light is also needed in our communities, in our communities. And that being faithful to his word sometimes requires us to take a leap of faith in believing what a stranger is telling us. And to recognize that hunger and poverty are more threatening to the lives of our neighbors than we often remember. 
I appreciate that WPC does a lot to support those in need in our community through our local mission work. But my interaction with the woman at Wegmans today just reminded me of how personal and profound that need is. Now, among the several things that struck me about this email is that a brief encounter with a holy moment in worship, a moment of inbreaking beauty like a holy night, led this member as she returned to the busy lives we all lead to take one small step against the power of darkness in our world. In this instance, that of systemic poverty. A moment of inbreaking that led to something more. After several years of exile from the public eye, the humorist Garrison Keeler, who was very well known in the 80s and 90s, has resumed at age 81 writing and reflecting on everyday events. In a piece entitled The Short Walk from Altar to, a, to Apartment, he shares the impact of an encounter with the holy in the midst of the everyday. I walked home from church on Sunday, he writes, a fine sunny day in New York. Church was wonderful as usual. The communion hymn was, It is well with my soul. And after my recent Grand Canyon sunrise experience, I did feel that it was well with my soul. Which has not always been true. Now suffice it to say that the Anglican prayer of confession is rather breezy in my case. A man of 81 years cannot confess in 30 seconds. He needs hours. My walk home takes me past sidewalk cafes, two playgrounds, a basketball court, the stoops of brownstones where elderly men younger than I sit and watch the world go by. And it is a very pleasant walk, especially after church, after the priest has blessed us and sent us into the world to do what we have been put here to do. I pass throngs of my neighbors whom I have been told to love as I love myself. But I'm a Midwesterner and I love myself is not anything I would ever say. Maybe a New Yorker would say that, but not I. But I do love these people, my fellow pedestrians, shoppers, diners, jaywalkers, joggers, skateboarders, stoop sitters. Church, he continues, is a treatment for narcissism. I am not number one. I am beholden to my maker. I need to pay attention to the divine, to live rightly with my fellow pedestrians. And part of church is the walk down this narrow canyon of high rises and seeing the faces 
and hearing the voices. Make me an instrument of thy love. Again, a blessing at church. A blessing during worship. A moment of inbreaking beauty that led to something more. When Luke writes what we have come to know and love as the Christmas story, he sets the birth of Christ clearly within the political and social setting of Jesus' day. The birth of Jesus is located in a particular time at a particular place under a particular ruler. A decree rendered by an emperor named Augustus while Quirinius was governor of Syria. A royal command that everyone should return to his or her hometown in order to be registered for a census. In Luke's story, the soon-to-be-become-mother-and-father-of-Jesus obey the decree and return to the father's hometown of Bethlehem. When they are there, the time comes for her to deliver. And she gives birth to her firstborn son and wraps him in bands of cloths and lays him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. Luke does not protect the infant Jesus from the politics of the day. And in this instance, that in this instance leads to a sudden decree from a ruler and harsh travel on the part of peasant parents to the towns in which they were born. Luke doesn't spare the infant Jesus a beginning as perilous as that of many infants in the world and in our nation, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, no room in the inn. Yet Luke still greets the birth of Jesus with worship. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign of you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. After the instruction of a single able angel to a group of shepherds, music from a heavenly host follows like a hymn or anthem follows after a sermon. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he favors. After this late night experience of outdoor worship, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds say to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and they found the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds then returned, glorifying and praising God 
for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. A moment of beauty, the shepherd's experience that leads to something more. I get up every morning about 5.15 a.m. And after a bowl of yogurt and a cup of coffee, I log into correspondence that I increasingly have with a handful of people near and far. A correspondence that began during COVID and has continued to grow ever since. Mostly we share opinion articles and long-form journalism on any number of things that are going on in the world. In recent weeks, our attention has obviously been focused on the Israel-Hamas war, the controversy over free speech and anti-Semitism, now zeroing in on Harvard University, and the ever-present election looming before us. Not all of my correspondents are religious, but at times we enter into the state of religion as it intersects with these things. Yesterday, I circulated a column from Ross Douthat's newsletter entitled, ironically, There's No Better Time to Be a Roman Catholic. Douthat points out that Harvard University is nearly 400 years old, that the Roman Catholic Church and indeed Christianity itself is upwards of 2,000 years old, and that much of the conflict and violence in what we now call the Middle East goes all the way back to the conflict between Isaac and Ishmael, the two sons of Abraham. And prior to that, to Cain killing his brother Abel in an argument in front of the altar over why God had accepted the offering of one and not the other. The subtitle to Douthat's article is Catholicism's Problems Are the Problems of the World. I took this to mean that as difficult as these times are that we all over the world seem to be going through, the difficulties are not new. The problems of the world have been around for a while. So far, this sermon has talked about beautiful moments. Oh, holy night, helping someone at Wegmans. Neighbors on a New York sidewalk. Shepherds under a starry, starry night. No matter how religious or secular we are, we relate to these inbreaking moments of beauty. Indeed, in times of intense worry about the world or intense worry about our own personal or family lives, we absolutely yearn for such inbreakings. They are sometimes the only hope we have, the only relief we get during long days and sleepless nights. Yet within the Christian faith, which is what I'm commissioned to preach, what this church is commissioned to stand for, what we unite around every Sunday and especially during these holy seasons, within this faith, we believe that there is a particular claim and status 
that lies behind these inbreakings. Their source, we believe, is unique. The source of these inbreakings is nothing less than the mighty and transcendent God becoming human and living among us, becoming one of us, invading and overcoming the kingdom of the prince of darkness. The infant at Bethlehem is not just a beautiful baby whose smile travels around the world on Instagram. The angel music and the shepherd songs waft into and then from his birthing suite because he is no less, absolutely no less than Emmanuel, God with us. The infant will grow up for our benefit. He will teach what he teaches for our benefit. He will feed people for our benefit. And he will heal people and cast out strange forces labeled in his days as demons for our benefit. And sometimes, sometimes he will even heal us of maladies that we manage to cover from ourselves and others from formalities that we manage to cover over ourselves and others with the veneer of respectability behind which most of us live. The uniqueness and centrality of the sources of these inbreakings is captured in words from the Reformed Church of France, which we sometimes say as we look into the eyes of an infant we have just baptized. And the infant looks back at us. Little child, we say, for you, Christ Jesus came into the world. For you, he did battle and suffered. For you, he endured the agony of Gethsemane and the darkness of Calvary. For you, he cried, it is finished. For you, he died. And for you, he triumphed over death. Yet you, little child, know nothing of this. But thus is confirmed the word of the apostle. We love God because God first loved us. These inbreakings we have are nothing short of the love of God that first loved us. O holy night, the stars are shining. Sometimes when we encounter them, we know nothing of its source. Yet however faint and hidden, I hope that whenever light breaks into darkness for you, that like the shopper at Wegmans and the octogenarian walking from altar to apartment, that you will stop and listen and look and touch, and taste, and smell. And that by doing so, you will recognize that the inbreeding, the inbreaking that you have beheld is not just a happenstance of nature. I hope you will come to trust and believe that the inbreaking comes from the one 
born in a stable, placed in a manger, who is no less than the very God of gods with us. With us. With us. Emmanuel. Amen.